Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Well, if you remember, I don't have a great title for my series. However, I'm talking about the Temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what I titled it on online. I'm not good at titles. But, <laughs> um, and this is kind of a rudimentary drawing of what I had up before because um, it was erased and I didn't want to write everything again. Um, so I, <laughs> I just wanted to put it up in reference to, to have everybody remember that the first teaching I did was just talking about how we got to where we are today without pouring of the Holy Spirit. And that all this length of time that God went through, how he started out with Adam, and that his glory lifted from the earth, his presence lifted from the earth, but then he began in small ways bringing his presence back until we get to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit um, in us, and that that was God's ultimate desire. And we still have more to go in terms of what God wants to immerse us in, um, I believe. And so um, tonight I want to talk about, um, this is a weighty word, it's probably too weighty, but the peril of being a temple for the living God, the peril of it kind of the responsibility of it, of what we've been given and how we're supposed to steward um, his presence. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're going. Um, And then next week, I'm going to hit a little bit more on, like, the glory of it again. Um, Tonight, uh, or just today as I was preparing, I sat down um, to pray and to play some music before the Lord. And he just really began touching my heart with um, Matthew 5 um, being really the thing that the Lord is inviting us into about the glory of the indwelling presence of God. So that's probably where we're going to go next week and also the corporate reality of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, but tonight we're going to touch on some of the peril of that and how we have to steward it. So... Um, Really? So, I just want to touch on this first as we open. So, when Jesus was on the cross, he declared, it is finished, right? Um, as a man who was also in a body of sinful flesh, Jesus overcame all sin in his flesh. And as he declared... It is finished. I believe he was making a statement about a couple of things. There's probably more than this, but this is just some of the things that I thought of. That the power of sin is over for humanity. Okay, he was the last Adam. Adam's curse was that death and sin ruled and reigned over him. As the last Adam, he was making an end to that curse because he completely triumphed over sin in the flesh. So when Jesus was declaring it is finished, one of the things I believe he was talking about was the power of sin over humanity is finished. Obviously, we know that that's not a full reality because people still allow it to rule over them. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, It is a reality that he had triumphed over everything. It's finished. Um, And all that was multiplied through the first Adam has now been broken. If you remember um, the last time I taught, we went into Romans 5, where it talked about Adam, like sin and death was, was given to all men through Adam's one sin. 
right? It multiplied to all of humanity because of his one sin. And actually, well, I have it on the other side of the board. Anyways, um, <clears throat> so all of that, everything that was multiplied to, huma to humanity, Jesus as the last Adam broke the power of that. Okay, when he was declaring that it is finished, he was also saying that his life work, Jesus' life's work would now be multiplied to many. And that's again referring back to Romans 5, that righteousness and justification was given to all men through Jesus' one act. There's a multiplication given through the first Adam. It was a multiplication of death and sin and destruction. And in Jesus, the last Adam, what was multiplied is righteousness, justification, to all men, to anyone who believes. Um, so when Jesus declared that it was finished, he was declaring that condemnation no longer has a place for those who are in covenant with God because he fulfilled the old covenant and was, was establishing the new covenant. So condemnation, I believe he was saying, it is finished. Condemnation is finished for humanity because of the work that he was doing. Okay, <clears throat> so Jesus was the example of what we are to be in this life, okay? Jesus was fully man, but he, had the in, he was the first human being that had the indwelling presence of God living on the inside of him. Before that, the presence of God could rest on someone and anoint someone, but it was never within, within someone's physical being. So he was the first man born of a woman to have the indwelling presence of God in him. And again, it took God a long time to get to that reality. But now we've received this incredible gift, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, which it requires something of us, which is what I want to talk about tonight. Okay, so I want to talk about like a continuous filling because when... We think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I receive it at my new birth. Then sometimes as Christians, it can be like, well, okay, I've already received the Holy Spirit. But when we look at the, what happened to Jesus' disciples and then into the book of Acts, what we see is actually um, an increasing amount given and a continuous, like a, a, a constant need for them to be receiving more of the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's what we're going to look at. Um, so we know we not only need to seek to be filled afresh every day, we have to be vigilant, vigilant, that's not the word, vigilant to guard and protect that which we've been given, um, because we still live in a body of flesh, right? And so you think about like a costly gift, the Lord, it cost him everything to give us what we have today. It cost him everything. Um, and so if we are living carelessly and without the fear of the Lord, it's actually hindering the fullness of what God wants us to experience. Um, okay. I might go into this later. All right. So rather than just receiving God's spirit once at our new birth, what we see is that there is an increasing measure of God's spirit that we receive. Okay, I've talked about this before, but Isaiah 9, it references that the increase of God's government and peace, there will be no end. 
So when I read that, and that's talking about Jesus' government upon the earth, he also has a government within our own souls and within our beings that he's wanting to establish. It's increasing agreement with God that he's wanting to establish in us. And so if his glory and presence is going to be increasing in the earth because he's an infinite God, then that is true in me. Like there's an increasing measure that he wants to establish inside of me. Um, so we're going to get into some passages here. So John fourteen seventeen. So I want to th- uh, establish this a little bit. So when Jesus said this in John fourteen seventeen, let me read it first. It says, the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Wow, I really made some massive typos on this. I can't even read what I wrote. John fourteen seventeen. Okay. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here we have the disciples and this is in John 14. So that was quite a bit later into his walk with them, right? (laughs) They had already, the disciples had already been sent out and were preaching the gospel. They were casting out demons and they were healing the sick. And Jesus was telling them, the Holy Spirit is amongst you. He dwells with you, but pretty soon he's going to be in you. Okay, so that's interesting to note because signs and wonders can happen if someone is anointed with the Spirit of God, but they might not have the indwelling presence of God because the disciples were doing that. They were anointed with power to heal the sick, cast out demons, and yet the Holy Spirit was not living inside of them yet. That's interesting. Um, So then we get to John 20. And it's uh, verse 21 through 22 says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. So this is after Jesus died and came and appeared to them. He said, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them. The Holy Spirit was already amongst them. Jesus had died, went, went to hell, came back with the keys of the kingdom, appeared to his disciples, and then breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the first time they had received the Holy Spirit in some type of internal way. There's debates on this of whether or not, like what exactly that meant. <laughs> But I believe that this was the first time that they actually received the indwelling presence of God for themselves. Um, This was their initial infilling, okay? So, again, I'm drawing out the fact that we need a continuous infilling, like a continuous, well, I mean, because the Holy Spirit is a fount of living waters, right? So if it's a fountain, if he's like a fountain, that we're supposed to be receiving from, then that's a never-ending supply, right? Um, So here the disciples finally received the Holy Spirit. Then um, we're going to read in Acts 1, verse 4 through 5. Okay. 
So here, Jesus was with them for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom. And he says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, John 20, they, they, just, they received the Holy Spirit because Jesus breathed on them. And what Jesus said was, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit in that moment. But then Jesus is telling them, hey, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because you need to be baptized um, and receive the promise of the Father, and it's a baptism of fire. You were baptized with water. Now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire because that's what the Father promised, okay? And he said... Um, <laughs> I miss this part. Mm -hmm. In verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this is interesting to think about because Jesus is saying um, that they're going to receive a baptism of power. But again, they'd already been moving in signs and wonders before this. Right? They'd been moving in signs and wonders. Jesus was saying, the Holy Spirit's around you, but he's not in you. And then he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus says, you need a baptism of power and fire so you can be my witnesses. And it's like, well, wait a second. They already were witnesses. So what is happening here? It's like, wow, the Lord is really zealous that we would, again, have an increasing measure of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see why in Acts 4... That's where we're going to go next. So then they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And then what happens in Acts 3 is that there's a man, uh, a lame beggar who was healed. And when that man was healed, the Jewish religious leaders brought Peter and John, I believe it was, to them and basically were commanding them like, hey, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they were threatening them that if they continued to do this, that they would be um, killed, okay? So because they healed this man, um, they were being threatened with their life. And so their response to that in Acts 4, verses 23 through 31, sorry, this is a new Bible, and it is hard to find stuff in a new Bible. Okay, so they were released from the Jewish leaders in 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And I'm going to skip down uh, to 27. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here we have, again, I'm going to go back through it. 
The Holy Spirit will be in you. In you, it's around, He's around you, but He's going to be in you. Then they were breathed upon. Then they were promised um, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and power, so that they could be witnesses, which happened in Acts two. And then, as they began to testify of Jesus with signs and wonders, they were persecuted. So they gathered together again and prayed and asked for increased boldness that they could continue to be a witness. And what happened was they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. So then in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when I look at this, what I see is that how important it is that, again, I know I have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that I just stop there. It doesn't mean that I stop asking for more of the Holy Spirit, especially when I know the Lord really is zealous for the harvest and for me to fulfill good works and to see signs and miracles and wonders. I mean, the disciples, they were, they were already walking in signs and wonders and they had to be baptized again. I don't see that many signs, miracles, and wonders. So how much more should we be crying out for and asking the Lord to be baptized with his Holy Spirit, with his fire, so that we can continue to bear witness to who he is. Um, and they, you know, they were having their lives, their physical lives threatened. And it was through receiving boldness of the Holy Spirit that they were like, okay, we can keep doing this. So we don't really experience that much of that here right now. Um, it could definitely change, if not in our lives, in the lives of our, our children. So just the reality of us needing to be filled with his presence is so key um, that it's not just this one-time thing that God did. You know, he's like, oh, I'm going to fill you with my presence and that's it. No, it's, it's a continual filling that we should be seeking and pursuing and a fellowship with him. Um, and that last verse that I read, Ephesians 5.18, that's talking about being filled with his spirit and giving thanks. It's like this, it's a transfer of our heart attitude where we're continually filled with thanksgiving um, and honoring the name of the Father and learning how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit and, and being baptized with him isn't just about power, like externally, to see things signs and wonders and miracles. It's also to learn how to live in submission to one another because we love Jesus and he wants to, us to learn how to submit to one another and to yield to one another and walk in humility. All right. Yeah, so this just, this, this progression to me, it just reveals our utter dependence that we have upon him, um, that we can never live removed from him, especially, I mean, especially if we want to be a witness. I want to be a witness. I, you know, and we'll, we'll talk more about this later. Um, you know, the first class I started teaching on this, I talked about the maturing of righteousness and wickedness at the same time from Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and tares. And in the midst of the increasing wickedness, 
God really does want a witness of righteousness amongst that. And so, if, but if we're not, again, walking in greater agreement with the Holy Spirit um, and being filled with him, like we're, we're going to bow to the, the fear of the wickedness that's rising up around us rather than um, continuing to be a voice of truth, loving, a loving voice of truth, right? And it's going to get really hard. It's going to get really confusing. Um, my kids are pretty young, so I don't talk to them about a lot of stuff, but, you know, it's Pride Month, and so there's a lot of people with rainbow hair, and EJ's like, look, Mom, rainbow hair. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she doesn't know what it means yet, but she just likes the colors. Um, so that'll be interesting. All right. <clears throat> I just want to talk about the labor of forsaking sin to maintain glory. Um, Jesus, when he was in this world, he was a light, and so we're called to be. And that is uh, a privilege that we have to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, um, we have to tend that and guard it and recognize we've received a prize above all else. Um, and it takes labor. It takes labor to tend. Um, so I was thinking about this, just the, again, that the Holy Spirit is a costly gift for the Lord. And so what do we do with costly gifts? What do we do with something that is valuable and costly? When we receive a valuable gift, you know, it's something that is put on a nice shelf that is dusted off, that when people come over, it's like put on display and it's shown because it was, it's worth something and we want to keep it um, immaculate, you know, things that are not costly or that we don't treat as costly or as treasured, um, you know, we just can throw them on the floor and walk all over them. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's like a throwaway type thing. But the Holy Spirit obviously is not like that. And I'm not saying anyone of us here thinks of it, him like that. Um, but the reason why I'm saying that is because it, our relationship with Holy Spirit and us receiving from him doesn't just get maintained on its own, right? Like it actually requires labor and, and choices that we have to make. Um, Revelation fourteen thirteen says, um, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but there's some times when I'm having to, to realign myself with the Lord and forgive or just, you know, not be angry because my kids are going crazy. It is wearisome. It's a labor because we are choosing to not enter into sin. And it literally is a labor sometimes that we have to endure and it's like some days I'm like God I am so ready to not have to labor this way anymore because it is going to end when Jesus returns and our sinful nature is completely removed away from us um, and that's what the Holy Spirit is saying in Revelation 14 it's to a specific generation but he's saying they may rest from their labors the labor is going to end at some point <laughs> Um, and I liken this to thinking about like sheep because God calls us that we're sheep and sheep wander all the time. 
right? So we wander away. <laughs> so we constantly are having to keep ourselves like with the shepherd. Okay, another verse, uh, Matthew 6, verse 31 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, again, this is interesting. Jesus is literally saying that every single day is full of trouble. Well, that's encouraging. But in it, in it, and he's saying it in reference to this demand that we have to live righteously. Because we have been in, filled with the Holy Spirit. We're children of God now. And he's saying, seek first the kingdom don't worry about all the other stuff. Like, don't, don't labor for that and don't worry about it. The trouble, the trouble that you need to pay attention to is learning how to live in my kingdom and live righteously. So, again, I, it's just an interesting word that Jesus uses is he's calling, there's trouble every single day that we have to pay attention to. Trouble. Because the, the propensity of our flesh um, despite the fact that we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is that it's just still there. We're still living in a body of flesh. Um, so we've received of his spirit, but now our primary responsibility is to maintain or labor to maintain our connection to the Father by learning to trust him. Um, So I, I liken it also, well, actually, I don't liken it to this. I heard it somewhere, and I, I like the analogy. Um, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to use that later. I'm going to use that later. Okay, so uh, James 4, verse 5. I'm going to read a couple different translations. In the ESV, it says, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? New Living Translation says, they say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. The NKJV says, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. And the NASB says, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit inside of us, the reason why I'm bringing this up is He's not passively just hanging out in us. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The living God lives inside of us. And he's not just in there like, yay, I'm glad I'm in here, waiting. He is yearning inside of us, longing for us to keep the gates closed to darkness, um, to ask him for more, to be more fully given to him, so that we can be the witness and be the light that he is wanting us to be, and so that we can enjoy the fullness of who he is on the inside of us. Um, so he's not just hanging out in there. He is a living God that he is wanting the fullness of who, of who we are. Okay, so 
Um, I kind of want to turn this over now, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, how cool is that? If you're a teacher and you like uh, writing on stuff, then these things are pretty amazing. Um, so, okay, uh, this is what I was referring to earlier where here's Adam and his one sin multiplied sin to many. So these are like people, multiple people, right? But then Jesus took all the multitude of sins and he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So my sinful flesh is represented in the black and green. Okay. That's like sinful flesh around, but inside is the glory and presence of God. And he multiplied that to many. And now we have this body of flesh, nasty flesh, but inside of us is the glory of God um, through the new covenant. And so um, we've received the new spirit and the new covenant, but it doesn't mean that we are fully living in agreement with the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? We can have the indwelling presence of God and yet not be living in agreement with um, who he is, what he's wanting of us, the way that he thinks um, or what, what he thinks, what he's wanting to establish in the earth. And that was Paul's wrestle in Romans 7, um, he was acknowledging that though he was made new and given a new spirit, there was a war with the body of flesh that he still lived in. With his mind, he served God, but with his sin nature, he still served sin. And so again, the reason why I'm pulling this out is because there's a labor that we have to engage in. There's a, um, a battle that we have to engage in, even though we've received the glory of the new covenant. Um, I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 10. Starting at verse starting at verse 1, sorry. Okay. And this is the ESV. <clears throat> Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, 
He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So twice, Paul refers to these things as examples to us. Okay, so I'll read those two again. Verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us. And then in verse 11, he says, These things happened to them as an example. And then they were written down, basically, for our instruction. Why? Because the end of the ages has come upon us. Um, Oh, man, I'm going back over here. So... Because here, what we think about, again, is this law was glorious. What was given to them was glorious, but they disobeyed that law, and what happened to them was tragic and scary. Can you imagine if we sinned and 23,000 people fell dead? I mean, that's scary. (laughs) But that literally happened to them. So, and Paul's saying that's an example to us because they didn't have the indwelling presence of God. They had the law and God's commands, and that was it. And that was a measure of glory. And that measure of glory, when they chose to disobey, sometimes resulted in thousands dying instantly. So this verse is terrifying, or these verses are terrifying, because the whole point, again, he's saying these are examples to us, and he's like, I don't want you to be ignorant, because if that measure of judgment rested upon them because of the glory that they had received from God, now we have the indwelling presence of God, how much more are we accountable when the Lord returns based on the things that he's commanded us? They drank spiritual drink. They ate spiritual food. What is the Holy Spirit, right? He's the fount of living waters living within us. He, we ask him for spiritual food every day. Like we have spiritual food and we have spiritual drink also, okay? They all were in the glory of God um, externally. You know, they had the 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 glory of God in a pillar of cloud and fire. Like, we don't see that, but again, it's living inside of us. And he says, because the end of the ages has come upon us. And so, I don't know if you all remember this either, but when I, when I did this timeline, part of what I was trying to draw out was the fact that humanity is... When you look at the biblical narrative, it's only, almost like humanity is maturing, going from a little kid that was under the law, held as a tutor, and then all of a sudden we're fully adopted. But then there's this maturing that happens because the bride is fully ready and made and, and pre- has prepared herself for the wedding day. Here it's a child. Here it's a mature bride ready to receive her bridegroom um, in the fullness of the new covenant. So... The end of the ages has come upon us. We're supposed to be entering into greater and greater maturity, receiving more and more from the Holy Spirit, becoming more in agreement with the Lord and who he is, his ways, and what he's wanting to establish in the earth. So the burden of that responsibility is really great, right? Again, I'm I'm talking about the peril that that exists because we have the indwelling presence of God. Um, Not that we need to be scared, (laughs) 
I end with good news, don't worry. Um, and, and, and think about it this way, too. I, I had this picture in my mind when I was preparing this also. The like, difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. Um, again, because Galatians 4 refers to this as like a child being held under a tutor. So I'm thinking of the promise um, that the Israelites had is like a kid who has received a model car. You guys remember building models? My brothers did that a lot. And it's an awesome model. It's like a perfect model, but it's little. But that's, um, it's like a model of a Lamborghini, let's say. Okay. It's like the Israelites received this promise of, the, of what God was offering them. But they're little children and they couldn't have a new, a real Lamborghini at that time, right? They just got a model of it and said, this is your inheritance. In the new covenant, it's like we have received the Lamborghini and we get to drive around in it. Um, that's like the difference of the glory. It's like receiving a model of what is to come and then actually be having the Lamborghini and, and referring this to the Holy Spirit um, and being able to drive around in it. The old covenant was like a representation of what God wanted to give and wanted to establish his people and was supposed to give them faith for what was to come but it wasn't the fullness, but now we've received the fullness and we've received this Lamborghini. So it's like, if the kid breaks the model um, after he's been given rules, like there would be some serious repercussions, right? Again, Israel received some serious repercussions for their sin. But at the same time, what Paul is trying to say is like, hey, the, that was just written out for our instruction. The end of the ages has come upon you and you've received the fullness, like the full Lamborghini. And if you don't take care of this thing... <laughs> It's worse off for you. Anyways, that's a silly example, but I had it in my mind, so I thought it was helpful. So that's not to say that we have to tiptoe around on eggshells, but it's about recognizing the preciousness of what we've been given in the Holy Spirit and that we really do have a burden of responsibility um, with with him living inside of us. Um, so it doesn't matter necessarily that we've received from God because again they received from God and it said not God was not well pleased he was not well pleased with many of them we have received from God and so what matters is if as we are living with him if we are learning to live in greater agreement and if we are learning and finding out what is well pleasing to the Lord because a lot of the Israelites weren't they didn't necessarily care so we have an increased glory. And so Ephesians 5, 8, it says, walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's a burden of our responsibility is like finding out what is well-pleasing to the Lord because, again, we are maturing into a bride made ready. So if as a bride, we're just like, well, it's fine. However we want to live and any thoughts we want to have and, whatever we want to watch and, you know, just live whatever way that we want. The Holy Spirit's yearning zealous, jealously inside of us, wanting to make us prepared for the full glory of Jesus at the end of the age. Um, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 18 through 25 Oh my goodness, where is Hebrews? <laughs> Here we go. 
All right. It says, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. What the writer of Hebrews is referring to is Mount Sinai, the giving of the, new, of the old covenant. At that time, God appeared in fire and tempest with trumpets blasting, and it was so terrifying that the people were like, hey, stop talking, God, because we can't handle this. This is too scary. And the, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, we didn't come to that mountain, okay? This is what we've came to. Uh, well, I'll keep reading. It says, they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Um, so this is what we've come to. We've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable, two innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So, um, <clears throat> again, when talking about the peril of the glory of the new covenant they had this covenant that that when god initiated it it made them tremble with fear because of the sight of what they saw the words that god was speaking the sounds they were hearing and the writer of hebrews is saying hey look that freaked them out the measure of glory when we when we are when jesus returns is so far beyond anything that the Israelites ever could have thought or imagined. Innumerable angels, God himself, the judge of every single person who has ever lived. Um, what else does it say? Uh, to Zion, which when you read about in Revelation 20 and 21, talks about Zion, the new Jerusalem, is a city that glows with the glory of God. I mean, these things, it's like we have pictures of them and we can kind of see them in our mind's eye or whatever, but it's, it's literal light that is going to be so piercing. Like it would blind us now if we saw it, just like it did Paul. He saw a measure of Jesus's glory and he was blind for three days. Um, so we haven't come to this other mountain with the giving of the old covenant. What we've been given in the new covenant far surpasses that. So how much more um, should we be living in, a, in finding out what is well-pleasing to the Lord because of what we've been given. So that's sobering to me, but I'm going to end with um, some good news. So <clears throat> part of the glory of the new covenant is that he will remember our sins no more. Though we may struggle and fall short, we do not stumble to falling and we will never, that we will never be able to recover. Um, Psalm 37, 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Okay. Um, I didn't put this in my notes. I forgot I was going to read it. But when I, when I said part of the glory of the new covenant is that he will remember our sins no more, that's literally a part in Jeremiah um, 32 when it's promising that he'll give us a new spirit and a new heart. Um, 
one of the things it specifically says in there, in the promise of the new covenant, is he will remember our sins no more. That's why I'm saying that, but I forgot to put that in there. Um, Micah 7, verse 18, it says, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So we, again, the, the image on the other side of the board is we're in this body of flesh. Paul talks about it like I do the things that I hate um, still because I'm, I have this glory living inside of me, yet I'm still in this body of flesh and we have this burden of responsibility that is really weighty because of where God is taking us um, and the future glory that we have coming to us. And yet, in the new covenant, he promises that we, he will uphold us when we fall and that he will remember our sins no more. Cast them into the depths of the sea. Um, I remember I was in Bible school and I had an encounter with the Lord where I was just really struggling I go back to this encounter a lot. I saw Jesus. It was like we were in a motorboat, and he was sitting on the end of the motorboat. And you know, like uh, uh, oil barrels? Like he had all these oil barrels that were my sins, and he was tossing them over the side of the boat, um, which is not very environmental friendly. Stop it, Craig. I know. <laughs> but that was, that was him showing me like, hey, I'm not going to bring these things back up. They're going to the depths of the sea. You stop bringing them up because I'm not going to remember them anymore. They're literally going into the depths of the sea. And that's what it says in, in Micah. So the depth of mercy and forgiveness that he releases to us to cancel out our sin nature and to remove our sins is completely real. He literally wipes it away. Um, obviously, that's the good news of the new covenant. Um, Another aspect of good news is we are being made new every day despite our body of flesh. So again, we need more infilling of the Holy Spirit. We, we ask for more, and part of that is because we need to be made new every day. There's a promise of being made new. It's not just that we've received the Holy Spirit again and he's hanging out in there. It's like he wants to renew us continually every day. 2 Corinthians 13, 3, verse 18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So I'm in a body of sin that still has a sin nature, but inside I'm being made new and I am laboring with God in this life to be made new again and again. That's my labor in this life is to be made new, to walk in greater agreement with him. Philippians 2 uh, verse 12 through 13 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's saying, work out your salvation. Again, labor with fear and trembling. But the good news is it is God who works in you both to will and to do. So I'm not laboring and trying to be more righteous and, and whatever on my own. God is literally laboring in me 
unto this end that I would be made new, that I would be made more like him. Um, uh, And so that analogy that I was referencing earlier, you think about a microscope. um, Who remembers using microscopes in biology class? Okay. So you have the slides on there, you know, and you turn up the light and you can see, and you have to clean off the slides sometimes and turn up the light more because you can see more when you increase the light, right? Well, every time you increase the light, you can see more dust on the slides. So it's like with the increasing amount of light, you see more dirt. Or additionally, sometimes when I'm cleaning my kitchen floor, sweeping, if I get brighter lights on in there, I realize, wow, I missed a lot of stuff right? Because with increasing light, we realize, oh, there's more junk and there's more dirt there that needs to be removed. And that's how it is, um, you know, with our walk with the Lord, that as he's laboring in us and we're being made new, that his light is increasing. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, there's more dirt there. There's more stuff there. Um, And we don't have to be concerned about that. He's just exposing it so that we can be made new again, right? Um, okay, I don't have time to go on this other stuff, really, so I won't, but I'll pray, um, actually, I'll say this one last thing, because it's mostly just a phrase, um, the other aspect that is really good news is that Jesus condemned sin in our flesh, So we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's this ridiculous weight and burden and responsibility that we have because of uh, the glory that he's wanting to bring us into. So when we find that we're living in this body of flesh and we're not measuring up, a lot of times we live with sin condemning us. Our sin condemns us. We have to remember that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Okay? He condemned sin in the flesh. So if we find that we're sinning while we're in the flesh, we have to remember, well, he condemned it in me. It's no longer master over me. I don't know if that is like registering with you, but that makes me feel um, more triumphant because rather than sin being out here, condemning me I'm now in a place and position where I'm condemning sin because Christ overcame that he said it's finished that thing has been condemned in me it's no longer part of me um anyways Jesus broke the curse of death and the power of condemnation because he fulfilled all the law Jesus remained faithful to obey all that the Lord spoke in the old covenant everything all the commandments that were given here, Jesus fulfilled them. That's why he declared in Matthew 5, I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled all those requirements. Um, if you remember, this was a covenant of condemnation. It revealed sin. It brought forth condemnation. When Jesus fulfilled that, he condemned sin in the flesh. And that condemnation now no longer is over us because he completely fulfilled it. That's why we are free in Christ. That's why there is no condemnation in Christ anymore, because he completely fulfilled the old covenant in order to establish the new. 
Okay, that was a lot right at the end, but we're out of time. So here we go. Uh, so Father, I just thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you for um, who we are in Christ. I, I um, just recognize, God, um, that we really do have a weighty responsibility that you've given us, um, Lord, that when we read what happened to the Israelites when they chose to disobey, God, that those things were written down for our instruction. Lord, there's a measure of the fear of the Lord that you want us to walk in ourselves, but also to release to the next generation. Um, and so, God, I just ask for help to do that. Lord, help to walk in greater measure of the fear of the Lord in my own life, and then also how to transfer that to the next generation, God. You are holy, and you really do have um, requirements, not just because you want to be mean or because you just have them to have them. God, you're righteous and holy, and your ways are good, and you want us to walk in full agreement with them. Um, so, Father, I just ask for grace for that and just the transference of that in our own spirits to the next generation, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 